The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Well, happy Mother's Day to you moms. And it uh, struck me as, as Bruce was praying. Uh, this morning at our house, there were, uh, there were banners and songs and presents and several slideshows. Um, <laughs> for the mom in our house. And it struck me, you know, one of the ways as Christians in this culture we can uh, show what we believe in is to celebrate. So celebrate more than the world protests. Uh, Make much of what God makes much of. Get out in the yard. Play with your kids in front of your neighbors and love them like crazy. Dive on the ground. Wrestle them. Smile at them. Tickle at them. Show the world that we value parenthood and kids and all those made in the image of God. I'm going to pray for us here as we dive into our text. So Lord, we, we love your word and what we need on Mother's Day and what we need every day is for you to show us yourself. The cry of our hearts is show us your glory. Show us reality. Show us what's true and what's real. And oh Lord, help our hearts love it by the power of your spirit. Help our hearts live it by the power of your spirit. So Lord, today in this text, show up again in your faithfulness and grow our faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you know uh, what an echocardiogram is? More of you than I would have thought. That's good. So it's this test where they use electrodes and they, they watch your heart rhythm for a long season. And they use an ultrasound machine to see how and where the blood is moving through all the, all the valves and all the chambers. It's a tool that reveals if your heart is doing what it's supposed to do. <laughs> That's what it's doing. Is your heart working how it's supposed to work? Now, I have this dramatic memory of when the doctor came in after the first one of these my son had a few years ago. And he told me something was wrong and my son needed open heart surgery. So this, this tool, right, and you, you hear it, it sounds good. <laughs> but this tool that sounded like a good thing, uh, when you get the news as a family, you almost wish for a moment that you'd never done the test <laughs> because you didn't like what you saw, right? So they come in, you give you the results, and you're going, I don't like this test anymore. I don't like echocardiograms. I don't like this feeling. I want it all to be gone. But we know that would have done us no good, right, T- to not see the results. We needed to know what was wrong. We needed to see it, needed to take it in, and then we needed to take steps to address it. And I bring that up because that's what the Word of God does for us. Right? It's, it's like an echocardiogram of our heart. It says that the Word of God is like a sword and it pierces through the bone and marrow and reveals our thoughts. Right? It reveals our innermost desires. And I think even more so, this is what Genesis has been doing for us as we walk through it. We get to see through the lens of the people and promises in Genesis, hearts that walk by faith, they do what they're supposed to do, they respond to God how they're supposed to respond. They're pumping the right way, the chambers are working, the electric signals are happening in response to God how they're supposed to, and we get to see hearts that falter and fail, the signals get crossed. And as we see those things, 
at least as I'm studying it and I'm seeing it, what we begin to see is it's revealing our own hearts and our just topsy-turvy walks of faith. It's revealing the places our hearts are strong and healthy and the places our hearts are broken (laughs) and they're hurting and they're open wounds. And it's revealing time and time again that God is a kind God pursuing us with goodness and mercy to reveal those things and reminding us that the open heart surgery He will do is not one to harm us. It's not one to harm us, but to restore us by helping us again hear His voice and trust His Word. That's what this story is all about. And so last week, if you're a visitor with us, what we saw last week in chapter 12 was an echocardiogram of Abraham's heart that helped us realize both where he and our hearts are broken as we walk towards the land of promise, as it draws near. And it helped us see that we are probably like him more than we like to admit or even see is true. That we're still prone to plan more than we pray. (laughs) That we're still prone to go to Google before we go to God. To be self-sufficient more than we trust to subtly distance in our relationship with God that just kind of leaves him out of the picture so that he drifts away and we can figure it out on our own. And today we'll get to see that God keeps his promises despite our lack of keeping our end of the bargain and he does a surgery that heals our heart to trust him. So that's what I want us to see today. And we're going to dive in here to verses 1 to 4, God's restoring faithfulness. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord." So God had made a promise back in chapter 12 about blessing Abram by making him a great nation, giving him a great name, giving him a promised place. And last week at the beginning of chapter 12, Abram had journeyed out in great faith, not knowing where he was going, and began to try to follow that promise. Well, then once he got there, there was a a famine, and all of a sudden, he tried to figure out how to complete those promises in his own power rather than in the power of God. He started by going to Egypt and saying his wife was his sister. If you weren't here last week, that's strange. Come ask me questions if you want to after the service. So at the end of the story, of that story, Abram is banished by Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, You've lied to me. You've been deceitful. You need to leave. But he's allowed by Pharaoh to keep all that had been given to him because God recognizes, or Pharaoh recognizes that God is with this guy. God is for this guy. God is going to keep his promises to him. And at the end of chapter 12, Abram doesn't speak a word in response to Pharaoh. He, he leaves in this kind of silent exit. And it's, it's this picture that he had nothing to say as he realized how far he had journeyed from God in his heart. But in these first four verses, (laughs) I hope you're as encouraged by them as I am. At first, it just looks like, well, he went somewhere and built an altar. But I want you to see what God is, is telling us here. 
God is working to keep his promise. He preserves Sarah. He preserved her in that last chapter. He preserves his promised offspring. He said, I'm going to bring you blessing through an offspring. He preserves that by protecting her. He provides for their whole family in abundance. Remember, they went to Egypt because there's nothing. (laughs) There's nothing. The land is drying up. There's no supplies. There's nowhere to go to get supplies. And yet, as they leave, it says that they have an abundance of livestock and silver and gold as they exit Egypt. If you're reading your Bible, this should remind you of another story where God brings his people out of slavery in Egypt with a plundering and provides for them on their journey. This should actually remind you even further in the Bible where the Son of God, what does he do? He comes out of Egypt as the promised offspring. So the the Bible has these echoes of God's faithfulness to remind us of this story, to remind us that God is working to bring his people to his place to enjoy his presence. That's what he's always doing. And so the Bible just keeps echoing these themes. And I want you to notice where Abram goes. He makes a physical journey back to God, back to the starting place in the land of promise, as I think he's probably making that own journey in his heart. He had an echocardiogram, and he didn't like what he saw. (laughs) I've fallen away. I've distanced. I've not relied on you, Lord. But the beautiful part of these verses is that we get to see here how not only does God work despite us, and we talked last week about how that's really good news. God works. God keeps his promises despite us. But we also see how part of his preserving faithfulness is that he restores us and he transforms us. So last week I had everyone raise their hands. I won't do this to visitors and said, raise your hand if you've ever just blown it in your walk of faith. Some people are raising their hands now. That's good. We're becoming a little less Baptist in our uh, participation. But, but what's so beautiful is not only does God work to preserve us despite our failures, but he actually works to transform us. He works to restore us. And we get to see that here. Abram journeys with all of God's provision back to the first place he built an altar in the promised land of Canaan. This is the first place we see Abram speak since he's banished from Egypt. And what we hear is worship. He calls upon the name of the Lord. He builds an altar where they first settled and he calls upon the name of the Lord. So if you're here today and you realize that your heart is prone to self-sufficiency, figure it out on my own. I mean, I'll talk to God when it gets bad, but most of the time I'm okay. Or your heart is prone to just valuing and needing and idolizing comfort. Or your heart is prone to self-preservation. What do I need to do to make sure that I come out on top in this situation? Or I preserve myself in this situation? You realize that you're prone to just forgetting God's promises. Well, you're just like Abram. I'm just like Abram. And if you're here today and like that, you probably wonder how your trust in God can be so up and down and so unreliable. I do sometimes. I do the same thing I did five years ago. Right, we're going to see that in chapter 20. Abram's going to do this again. <laughs> You're going to see that. Right, so how, how, how do I keep making the same mistakes? How am I here again? But right now, the encouragement would be just to make the journey back now. 
Confess your sin now. Confess the distance between you and God in those areas in your heart now. Call upon the name of the Lord now. Remember God's promises and faithfulness now. He is not far off. And He invites us, because of the work of Jesus, to come to Him in all of our brokenness. Come to the altar in our hearts and find grace and mercy and well-timed help because of Jesus. His faithfulness keeps His promises despite us and His faithfulness works in us to transform us. Jesus has paid for our guilt and covered our shame completely. I wonder if you've let that sink in lately. Jesus has paid for our guilt and He's covered our shame completely. Not 95%, not 98%, Not the 99% that is presentable, like the presentable sins that you can present to everyone in your small group or kind of confess in those big settings, but He has covered all of our guilt and all of our shame, and He would love for you to confess it and come to Him right now and make the journey back and say, Lord, I've walked away, but I'm coming back, and I'm going to call upon Your name. God is faithful to preserve, to restore, and to transform Point number two, Abram's revealed faith. So in verses five to seven, we see this conflict between Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen. Uh, Abram was the older statesman here. Abram was the leader of this journeying clan. He had more stuff. He had control. He was the patriarch. And he could have simply told Lot, get your people in line. You're along for the ride here. Get, get your people in line. You don't get to fight with your herdsmen. Your herdsmen don't get to fight with my herdsmen, right? I'll tell you where you need to go, right? Abram had the authority, the, the right to do that. And we can't forget that in his recent memory is a famine with lack of food, <laughs> with lack of resources. So we can imagine the place to settle would have been a big, important question, right? Where are we going to be? <laughs> we need stuff for all these people. So how does he respond to the limit, limited resources available this time? We'll look at verses 8 to 9. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. If you take the right hand, I'll go to the left. So no demanding his way, no exercising his office, none of that, but just an, an open-handed, you choose. Where you, where you go, I'll go the other way. What, what you choose, I'll go the other way. Just a laying down of all that could have been his. So what ultimately keeps us from fighting or demanding our rights in a self-preserving way? What keeps us from that? Trust in the Word of God. Believing His promises. What, what helps us not stress out? Not idolize our comfort? Not go into kind of self-serving, self prioritizing instant gratification mode with our time, our money, our work, or our relationships? What what, what will keep us from doing that? A heart resting in the promises of God. 
That's, that's the difference here between cha- end of chapter 12 and beginning of chapter 13. Abram's been restored. <laughs> right? He's gone back to the altar. He's calling on the name of the Lord. He's remembering the promises of God. And now he can say, you own it all. You've, you've promised that we're going to dwell here. This is the place you've given. And so I can trust you right now with limited resources that you're going to provide all that we need. I don't have to fend for myself. Right? There is never a scarcity problem with God. <laughs> right? he, he owns all the world. Right? He can make money fall from wherever he wants. He can provide all that he needs and he promises for his people to provide for them. I'll give you this place, Abram. I'll make your name great. I'll make you be a blessing to the world. And now Abram's believing it. So it doesn't matter where he pitches his tent right now. It doesn't matter where he, he lands right now because he knows God keeps his promises. And then listen to the picture we get from, from Lot. It's a different picture. Lot lifted his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, Abram in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were great, or were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. We're meant to see at the beginning of this, Lot lifting his own eyes, and then Lot choosing for himself. Again, we said last week, this is so subtle, right? Lot's looking, looking out and he's going, we just went through a famine. He's letting me choose. I think I'm going to choose there. Right? There's a lot of water there. That's why they went to Egypt. There's water. It's, it's abundant. In one sense, this is the common sense move for Lot to make. However, we're supposed to see the self-sufficiency. He lifted his eyes. He chose for himself. And we should notice a few other important phrases that the author of Genesis just wants you to hear so you can understand Lot's heart here. Lot lifts up his eyes and sees a well-watered region that's like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This is intentional language. The garden in Egypt, his eyes, his choosing for himself, he knows, he can figure this out. The last two places where we've seen people trust their own wisdom and not trust God's word in Genesis are where? The garden in Egypt, right? And, And Babel as an extension of those things. We find out, and actually commentators are split on this, we find out he journeys pretty far east. Some people say it was actually outside of the promised land. Other people say it was kind of right on the border of the promised land. But either way, we find out he journeys pretty far east. And later we find out he actually for sure leaves the promised land. So what's going on in his heart? To go where it's nice and watered, but to leave the place of God's promised He journeys away from the center of God's promise. Adam and Eve had to leave east of the garden after they disobeyed and trusted their own wisdom. Cain had to travel east after killing Abel, and here he chooses to go east out of the promised land. And we find out in verse 13 that Lot, for selfish gain and comfort, settled in a city with great sinners against the Lord. He went and stayed where it was comfortable despite all of these things. So here we have two pictures, I think intentionally, from the author of Genesis. 
On the one hand, an open-handed, humble, self-giving faith flowing from Abram's heart as he is trusting in the Lord. And then a picture of closed-fisted, self-preserving action in Lot. We have a picture of rest. Abram's heart is at rest. Take whatever you want. I'll just go the other place. Rest in God's promises in Abram and rest in all the world can offer in Lot. And again, this seems so subtle. He's just picking a good place to live, right? But he's quickly forgotten that God made them rich and well-supplied in the midst of a famine in a foreign land. And he's willing to leave the promised land to go fend for himself. He's forgotten God's promises and he chooses a land of sin outside of God's promised land. Abram journeyed physically and in his heart back to a place of rest and worship in God while Lot is journeying physically and in his heart to a place of rest and worship of other things. So, as you see these two realities and see the subtlety with which they come, let God do an echocardiogram on your heart even now. Right? I did let him do it on my heart as I, as I was studying this week. Let him reveal where your heart is really trusting and resting and hoping and where you find your security and peace. And then be encouraged by Abram, who was just a few verses ago distancing, scheming, resting in comfort and self-preservation, but God has restored him and is transforming him so that he can have a deep soul-level rest in the promises of God and hold open-handed everything else as he trusts in God. And we'll see later in Genesis and in the rest of the Bible that God is faithful and is not done with Lot yet either as the story continues. Point number three, God reminds Abram of his faithfulness. Look at verses 14 to 18. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Look northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So I want you to notice again the parallel words. Lot had lifted up his, his own eyes and chose for himself. God lifts up Abram's eyes and reminds him of his promises. Here, here's these parallel things happening. And this is how our God is. He's, he's gracious to us. He's given us the, the whole Bible so we can remember his promises. He meets us personally with these promises. Abram is likely up on a peak here where he can see most of the land stretched out. Imagine he can see the river that's going to be famous in a little while. He can see the mountain that's going to be famous in a little while. He can see the the sea that's going to be famous in a little while in the Bible. He can see all of this and God reminds him, I'm going to give you this place to worship me. Remember I said that. Remember I told you that. I'll provide a place. I'll care for you. And then he reminds him also that he'll provide a people, a people so great that no one will be able to count it. Now we've only seen a a little glimpse of this, but back in chapter 11, and it's going to grow in the storyline, we've seen that his wife is barren. His wife isn't able to conceive. And here God is saying, listen, if people can count all the dust in the earth, 
that's what your offspring are going to be like. That's my, my promise to you. And through those people, the offspring of Genesis 3.15 promised to crush the head of the serpent will come and will bless the nations. He's reminding Abram of his promises. And I love what happens next. This is one of my favorite texts in the whole Bible, that God reminds him of his promises, and then God says, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a walk together. It's this physical, acted-out walk with God through his promises, right? Here's what I'm going to give you. Here's what I've promised you. And now I'm going to just ingrain it in your heart by taking a walk with you. Can you imagine the way Abram's heart must have been overwhelmed by the faithfulness and mercy of God on this walk? Can you imagine the way his mind must have been running in wonder at all that God had already done by his grace that was giving him confidence to trust in God's future grace for him? What a gracious God to speak and remind and show Abram again that despite his distancing and disobedience, despite his foolishness and his failures, that he was still with him and not one of his promises had changed. Not one, not, not a word. He repeats all of it. What a gracious God to preserve him in his promises through him despite himself. What a gracious God to show him his heart and then restore it and grow it and walk with him and not walk with him in the midst of his disobedience, but actually walk with him after he's restored his heart so Abram's heart could just take it all in. Mark it down. He's faithful. He loves me. He's made this promise to me. What a gracious God to remind him, I'm still working through you and for all the world. I will have a people in my place to enjoy my presence now and forever. God is gracious to remind us of his faithfulness and walk us through it step by step as he speaks to us in his word. Last point, our redemption fulfilled. And so what I want to do is I want us to take a little walk together and remember who we are and where we are and where we're going. And I want to do this because I think the Bible teaches us that Abram's faith is supposed to stoke the fires of our hearts and our faith. And the reason I think that is because In Hebrews 11, which is this chapter of what faith is, it's calling the people of God to faith, this story shows up. So here's what it says in Hebrews 11, verses 9 to 10. It says, By faith, Abram went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's what Abram's looking forward to. Here Hebrews is teaching us how Abram was thinking, how he was preaching to his own heart, what God was confirming in him, what he was thinking by faith, and therefore how to view ourselves and how to talk to our hearts in order to rest in God. And there's a few basic principles, right? This is not our home. This is a a foreign land. We are sojourners and strangers until we make it to the ultimate land of promise. And, And Hebrews picks up on this theme in chapter 13, verses 14. Here's what it says. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. 
So it's just the same promise, right? Abram, what's he looking for? This other city whose builder is God, whose designer is God. I know that I'm here in this foreign land right now. I know it doesn't make sense. I'm wandering. Sometimes I'm failing. But you're restoring. And I have this this vision, this sight, this mind, this heart that is fixed on your promises. You're going to do this. You've promised. And here Hebrews is saying, Christian, do that. Right? This isn't home. This is a, a foreign land. We're sojourners. We're strangers. We don't have a lasting city here. But we have a lasting city. We have a place whose designer and builder is God, which means it's indestructible. If we hope in this life and the things of this life to kind of satisfy our souls, to bring us rest, we will always be left with empty dreams and empty souls. It's just not going to last. But instead, we look to the city that has deep foundations that God designed Listen to Hebrews 12, 22 to 28. It just keeps picking up on this theme and making it bigger and bigger and better. It says, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's where we've come now. We have this place This city now, we rest in Jesus now. God has kept his promise to Abraham in this room. We're gathered as the new temple of God right now. His church, his people in his place enjoying his presence. We have this now. We have this unshakable city, this unshakable kingdom now. We can rest in Jesus in his unshakable kingdom right now. You you know this, but sometimes just saying it out loud is helpful. Whatever you hope in in this life can be shaken. Can it not? Aren't we all just one phone call or one doctor's appointment or one uh, meeting with our boss or one whatever from just everything being shaken? Everything that we know, all the routines being disturbed, right? One pandemic, right? One whatever, one election, one Whatever you want to name, right? We're just always one little thing away from everything feeling like it's being shaken. Whatever you hope for in this life can be shaken, but the promises of God and the rest we have in Him now cannot be shaken. Now, now that doesn't, right? That's not like a pill you take and everything goes easier. Your heart just feels better. What I'm calling you to <laughs> is to do what Abram did and say, Lord, help me remember. Lord, help, help fix my heart in this place of your promises. Lord, anchor my soul in this place. Lord, reveal my heart to me. See where the rhythms are off. See where the, the blood is pumping funny. See where the, the signals are crossed. And Lord, help me rest in your promises and restore this thing. Do heart surgery on me so that I can hope in you, so I can trust in you, so that I can rest in you. God speaks to us in his Word and He sustains us by His Spirit that dwells in us and He promises to keep us. So if you've been wandering away, just come back to Him and trust in Him today. The, the thing about the Christian faith is it's so simple and so hard. Right? All that stuff I just talked about might be decades of knots in your heart. It just might be just deep anguish, just deep pain, deep brokenness, deep addiction. You say, what do I do with that? Well, there's all sorts of steps to do with all that stuff, right? But the first step is, is confess your sins. Confess your brokenness. And he is faithful and just 
to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He tells you in the worst and darkest places of doubt and sin and suffering, just come on in. <laughs> right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Right? Draw near to the throne of grace. Boldly approach the throne. You say, but if I approach the throne, he's going to be angry. He sees all the stuff I hide from everyone else. He sees all the brokenness. He sees all the doubts. He sees all the pain. He sees all the things I worship besides him. And he would just say, you know what? If you come here by the grace of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, what you find is grace, mercy, and well-timed help. So come boldly. That's what we see in the story with Abram. And better news than all that, <laughs> better news than all that is that there's a day coming where our faith will be sight. There's a day when sin and temptation are gone. There's a day when suffering and testing is done. There's a day when our faith will not be so topsy-turvy and fickle. And that day is coming to all who trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross to pay for sins and bring all these promises to pass for us, not through any work of our own, but through his finished work, his perfect work for us. And so to end, because we'll hear what Abram's doing here, I think, is looking forward to this lasting city. He said, I'm going to trust you. Trust your promises of an offspring, of a place, of your presence. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give all the insecurity to you. I don't, I don't need to choose the land anymore. I choose you. I don't need to trust and scheme for riches and protection. I can trust you to provide all of that for me. You've already done it in a foreign land with a pharaoh in a famine, right? Certainly you can keep doing this for me now. So what I want to do is remind you of the place that we're going to end up, and I just pray that your heart would go, I trust him. I can look forward to that. No matter what's going on right now, I'm going to be there with him. He's going to get me there, and I trust him. So listen to... Revelation chapter 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, lasting city, hear the same language, hear the echo, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Right? God's people in God's place doing what? Enjoying God's presence. Right? Genesis 1 to Revelation 21. It's all here. He's always doing this. And what's he going to do when he shows up and he dwells with them? Remind them of all their sins. Remind them of all their failures. Remind them of all their doubts and their fears. Here's what he's going to do. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. How many things? All, of them. All things. <laughs> every brokenness, every sin, every suffering, all of the curse reversed, everything made new. So church, your groom, King Jesus, is working to preserve you, 
to restore you, to transform you in this life. He will work to help you rest in Him. He will work to help you keep His promises. And then one day soon, He will return and all the tears will be wiped away. All of them. All death, gone. Mourning, gone. Pain, gone. Crying, gone. He's going to make it all new and He will bring us to His perfect place where we will enjoy His presence free of sin and suffering forever. So we get to do, because God kept His promise to Abraham through Jesus, we get to do today what Abraham did and say, we're looking forward to that. We're trusting in that. We have a kingdom that can't be shaken, and eventually that whole thing is going to come down and replace all of this. We're going to be in your presence as your people, enjoying you forever. Let's pray. So God, we, we confess, like it says right in Hebrews in that same chapter, uh, that sometimes this is hard for our hearts because we can't see it. It's not, it doesn't feel as real as the troubles and the sins and the trials around us. But faith is, is trusting in what you've promised even when we can't physically see it. Faith is relying on your promises. And you've given us the story of, of Abram to show us that you are a God who preserves, who provides, who restores, who transforms, and who gets us where we're going. You will be faithful to complete the good work you started in us. And Lord, the good news is not dependent on us, but because you care about the glory of your name, Lord, you have worked through history to bring all of these promises to a head that they would all find their fulfillment in your son coming and living the life that Abraham couldn't live, that we can't live, living the life of perfect obedience, perfect faith, dying a death as a perfect sacrifice to pay for every single one of our sins, rising again to conquer death so that all who trust in him, his faith, his obedience counts for ours. And his resurrection life is ours. And we are covered in his righteousness. And we're going to be with him forever in that city where every tear and every pain and every sorrow and every suffering and every death, all of it's gone and all things are made new. And it's all because of the blood of Jesus and the work of Jesus. So Lord, help us even in this moment lay our guilt and lay our shame and lay our brokenness and lay our suffering at the feet of Jesus and ask him to come and work on our behalf to preserve us, to restore us, to transform us, and to keep us until the day we're with him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.